slayers gather to cast powerful spells, some of the oldest and most powerful in the history of Magic the Gathering. Knight of the Reliquary, Scrib Ranger, Noble Hierarch, and many others, battling head-to-head in brutal combat. They all have one thing in common, to uphold their legacy in the search for eternal glory. The Eternal Glory Podcast is brought to you by the minds behind Bosch and Roll on YouTube, Thorabian University, and TheEpicStorm.com. This episode is sponsored by Eminence Gaming. Hello and welcome to episode 94 of the Eternal Glory Podcast, New Meta Old Favorites. We've already recorded 30 minutes of introductions and banter for the week available in our supporter-exclusive pre-show. Check out patreon.com slash eternalglory to gain access, or join as a YouTube member for the same content on YouTube instead. As always, I'm Phil Gallagher, aka Thraben U, joined by... I am Brian Koval, aka Bosch and Roll. And Brian Cook of the Epic Storm. All right, I think the first thing we want to do here is thank our new patrons and YouTube members... Yeah, we've got Marcus, Pat, and Andrew on YouTube, and then we've got High Contrast and Remarkable Ocelot on Patreon. Shout out to all of them. Gentlemen, do you know how to titillate an ocelot? You oscillated stitzelot. Badoomch. That's a joke that I know, and the word ocelot triggered it for me. You, you just have this in pocket, just ready to go at all times, anytime an ocelot comes up. This is one of these things that I heard once, and I was like, that's clever. I appreciate that. But how often in life do you hear the word ocelot? So it just buries into the back of my psyche. And then I hear the word ocelot. I'm like, wait, I know a thing. Anyway, enjoy that. And uh, all these new patrons enjoy the the pre-show that Phil talked about. Yeah, there's uh, there's some wild and interesting stuff in there this week, as, as always, including some uh, pretty big life announcements from multiple of us, really. For sure. Speaking of our patrons, we got a pretty hefty comment from one of our patrons max this is uh my friend max uh cmu person pittsburgh person uh formerly uh now back to his real life he's also the one who top aided eternal weekend with splinter twin a few years ago shout out to max he left us a comment our last episode was about the legacy bands the exciting expressive iteration and white bloom adventure sudden deletion from the format i've distilled down max's comment which was several paragraphs long to basically he's been playing a lot of hearthstone over magic lately and he really appreciates how hearthstone acts fast when there's a problem in the metagame and they communicate when they're not acting and why they're not acting and they communicate like hey we know this is kind of a problem we're going to give it another three days to shake out whereas wizards of the coast spent close to a year to ban expressive iteration which was very clearly a problem for anyone who was playing the format max went on to kind of say like we know that Legacy is kind of the format where warts and all, this is magic. Wasteland, Days, Dark Ritual, Show and Tell, just all the nonsense from Magic's past gets to thrive. Gameplay is objectively rancid, but we love it for nostalgic reasons or we're looking for something different than like a game designer's idea of perfect gameplay. And we all know what we're signed up for here. And it's true. We love that. But if we're going to leave stuff like Wasteland, Days, Brainstorm, Fetchlands, Legal, Max would like them to act faster on new stuff like Ren and Six, Ragavan, Expressive Iteration. Because we know the recipe at this point. 
the Delver Shell is always one card advantage engine away from being busted. And why would multiple get introduced to the format? And then it took a year and a half to get rid of both of them. Max just sort of had this thought of Hearthstone moves so quickly, they communicate so clearly. Why is Wizards farting around? Thoughts, gentlemen? I think one of the biggest problems with bannings in Magic is you're dealing with so many different communities. In Hearthstone, everyone is playing digitally. Everyone is kind of signed up for the same thing. Whereas with something like any paper Magic format, you have an online version of that format. You have a paper version of those format. Sometimes those two things have different card pools. You have to also worry about the financial side of things. When you are banning cards in paper, you are sometimes banning a deck that someone has just bought. Like, I don't know how many screenshots I saw of people being like, all right, I finally bought the Zerda deck. Or, you know, all right, I got everything I need for this Underworld Breach deck. And then all of a sudden it's womp womp and they are out some number of dollars for that, which can be a very large amount in Legacy. So you have multiple clients to worry about, multiple ways of playing. You have a financial investment side of it that's greater than like, oh, this cost me four wild cards to make. Right. Uh, one part of Max's thing that he said, he did mention the the fact that when you ban something, you're taking away somebody's toy. But he also mentioned the flip side of when you leave something that's obviously unhealthy, legal, you're taking away lots of people's toys. Because if you can't keep up with White Bloom Adventure, or you can't keep up with Ragavan, can't keep up with EI, then your deck has been taken away by omission of removing the actual problem. Because a lot of the times our band discussions end up being like, like Oko. Like, Oko doesn't make for bad gameplay. It kind of makes for good gameplay. It's just three threes, combat, like really intricate stuff. But it invalidates a huge swath of the format. So with Oko legal... All these other things are, air quotes, banned because you just can't play them. One thing that I would like to address out of this is that Max talks about the communication provided by Hearthstone to its players. If we look at the Pauper format panel, they're doing a terrific job, like truly phenomenal job at communicating with the player base why they're going to ban something, or more recently, why they're not going to ban something. And when they decided not to ban something... I'm going to go ahead and say it. I feel like the player base turned against them a little bit. A lot of people express uh, they showed how much they wanted Monastery Swift Spear banned. They wanted the Bridges banned, and then the Popper Format panel, including Gavin Verhey, released a video on why they think that those cards should stay, and the players sort of revolted. At least the ones that are loud enough on Reddit and Twitter, and. If you're going to ask for this kind of communication, you shouldn't lash out when you don't get your way. It's a two-way street, and that's just something that I've been thinking a lot about recently and uh, wanted to share that. Yeah, I had ended up in a conversation on Twitter with Glenn Jones, who has worked on Magic in the past. He's currently working on Marvel Snap. He is a game designer by trade, and basically it was deep in a Twitter thread about Thassa's Oracle. My position is that Thassa's Oracle has improved basically every format that it's legal. I think it's a fun puzzle to solve and finding different ways to get there is really cool. I, I think he was kind of stuck talking about CEDH specifically, where you can kind of divide the format into Oracle versus non-Oracle decks. There are a diverse number of win cons in that format all the same. He kind of had this position of even if something isn't necessarily unhealthy, 
the percentage of Thassa's Oracle wins would be cooler if we divvied the percent of Oracle wins up among other cool win cons. Like if five or six things could take that percentage. I think that legacy is there. I think Thassa's Oracle is exactly what he was describing would be cool in legacy. Like it is just one of the many cool ways to win a game. The idea of banning something just to shake it up. I'm just really against if it's not actually messed up. And I don't know if that connected as smoothly as I hoped it did to the, the first thing that we were talking about, but it's just a thought I had as we were talking. And the the financial part as well, like when cards get banned on Arena, you get your wild cards back. When cards get banned in Hearthstone, there's a dusting window where you can dust them for 100% of their rarity value. So it's basically like getting a full wild card back. And in paper, it's just, sorry, Watsi even just released an old Border Expressive iteration. It was super sweet. I bought four of them. Uh, they cost a couple bucks each. I'm out that 10 bucks or whatever. I'd rather have a healthy format, but I'm in a position where I can just eat $10 and it's not going to ruin my life. Yeah, and sometimes like the financial stuff doesn't matter. Like I just pulled up White Plume Adventure, for example. That card is still roughly $4. Okay, it might have been $6 a month ago. You know, basically an irrelevant cost because like the cards can still be played in other formats. But sometimes you like, oh, this thing from my niche combo deck got banned. And now all the other cards that are in this deck plummet because they are only playable because of that card. Like sometimes those things hit hard. Sometimes they don't. Cephalid Illusionist is creeping up to $10 these days. It, it's a one, it has one printing. It was only in Torment. And that's a pretty old set. If Thassa's Oracle were to suddenly be banned, Cephalid Illusionist would take a hit as well. Nomads and Core, pretty cheap, but it would take a hit. Shuko would take a hit. The The infrastructure of that deck would collapse without its payoff. Before the the well-actually people tell me that this was a combo deck way before Thassa's Oracle was printed, sure, but not really, not competitively. I know you can Mimeoplasm or Sutured Ghoul or whatever you want to do, but without Oracle, that damage would be pretty heavy. To go back to the communication aspect for a moment, so I talked about how Popper and how they were very transparent, and, you know, they give you sort of a quarterly update on the format. I'm safe to say this, that all three of us were sort of blindsided by the banning of White Plume and Expressive Iteration. We were in the middle of a conversation about how the format might have actually been fine the entire time, and then that day, they just went ahead and banned it. So... It's kind of different to see how the Popper format panel has been handling things compared to uh, the other Duke and Michael Majors or whoever else is making the update. Because, I mean, I'd prefer more communication, but I also think that, like, I don't want a legacy format panel, which is something that comes up every single time that there's a banning. So you have to pick and choose your battles, and I think I'd rather be blindsided than have people that might not be making the best decisions for the entire format. Yeah, and, and the the blindside, uh, we weren't blindsided by the decisions. Like, those were cards identified by us and everybody else who was talking about it uh, for weeks or, in EI's case, months. Uh, we were just blindsided by they didn't tell us there was going to be an announcement, and the announcement took effect later that day which has been something that Watsi's been playing around with for the last three or four years. They went from the quarterly, we will address all formats with each new set release model to we'll fix things as we need to fix them. And then among the we'll fix them as we need to fix them, it was we will tell you 
that there will be a ban affecting the following formats next Monday, a week ahead of time. And then people are like, why don't you just ban it now? You know, it's a problem. And then there's like the Monday announcement that says in two weeks time, these cards will be banned. It's like, well, you know, it's a problem. Ban it now. And so I, I think it's kind of cool that they just shotgun to ban out to us Monday morning with no announcement and change the format immediately. Uh, the, the arguments of like, I have an event tomorrow. Now I have to figure out the entire format again. Cause my deck, like there's no lead time to clear my queue of events before I have to figure out something new versus like, why make us play this dead format for a week and a half? Uh, there's arguments on every side. And I like that they took the shotgun risk on legacy, which obviously we're all fans of and the listeners are all fans of, but it is a pretty niche format that affects not that many people. I am pro no dead formats for what it's worth. Just putting that out there. All right. Um, why don't we go ahead and take this as sort of our opportunity to get into the actual episode itself. So we've got a couple of things we want to do. Number one, we just kind of want to do a vibe check. We've got some reps in with the format now. We've all played a handful of different decks. We sort of first want to say, like, what are we thinking of the format? We're going to take a very brief look at some results from the last weekend here. And then we've put together a short cards to watch list that we want to take a look at and kind of keep you looped into emerging tech and old cards that might be well positioned to come back. I want to start this section off with with a, a slop, a bad vibe. The bad vibe is uh, the Goldfish metagame. They just deleted Initiative and Delver from the the calculation the day the, like the minute they were banned. So if you look if you've looked at the Goldfish metagame in the last three weeks, it has Reanimator, Pater, Cephalid Breakfast as the top three decks. And then you have to scroll all the way to the bottom to find some Delver or uh, I guess it's creeping back up, but it was at the like stone bottom. They just reset it at 0% of the metagame, which was never even true. It was still number one the whole time. People just tried some different cards in the EI slot, but it, it's, it was like very weird to have to calculate that. But now I see that Delver is back up into fifth place and I think it will be back into first and reanimator 9.7% in the metagame. That's just not even true. I would like to throw a slop in here. A number of people told me that Cephalid Breakfast would be a dead deck post-ban. I'm seeing this shit everywhere. I am so sick of facing Cephalid Breakfast. All it does is kick in my teeth, and I'm tired of facing it. So for all of you that were like, oh, Breakfast is going to die because it lost its really good matchup and initiative, who are you kidding? That deck is here to stay, and I hate it. So uh, thanks for getting my hopes up. That deck was good before we had the initiative cards. <laughs> Nothing's different. In my head, I view like Doomsday and Cephalid Breakfast kind of as like the same sort of deck. Like they're very powerful. They're very hard to fight. And a lot of times, even if you do try to like do something to fight against them, it's often not enough. If I were a combo player, I'd be willing to put some eggs in those baskets. Yeah, I think Doomsday is more powerful, but also more exploitable. And it has a higher bar to play proficiently but yeah they're both in that they can turn to you pocket they have force of will they have days uh yeah just hyper disruptive fast combo decks that can also grind if they need to i talked about this a little bit in the pre-show but i recorded with doomsday over the weekend and i've never played a deck that's made me feel 
like a complete idiot like the way that doomsday does like i feel inadequate whenever i try to play that deck like i have years i've decade like literally a decade worth of playing combo under my belt like i feel like a dummy playing that deck it makes me feel ridiculous yeah i i've played it a number of times online where the chess clock is my best friend and i have up various sideboard guides or pile guides or whatever resource i can find is in my other window you better believe it just trying to help myself navigate it i've played it twice in paper and my the best tool i had was being like oh sorry i'm such an idiot this is really hard uh and just like using humor to distract my opponent from the fact fact that i was taking way too much time to make every pile <laughs> and opponents it being too nice, being like, oh, no, it's hard. I understand. One of us is dead here. Take your time, which is not how you should do that competitively. I was wrong to take that much time, and they're wrong to let me. It is really tough if you don't have your reps. Versus Cephalid Breakfast, which I top-aided a tournament with this past weekend. On I've played one league with it online one time, and then just cut through the Swiss. I imagine that they're mostly like, oh, that Brian Cobalt is so dreamy, and I can't bully a content creator. I'll let him take as much time as he needs, and then they just lose. So it's really on them. I try really hard not to big-time anyone. Because, I mean, for one, I don't feel big-time, and once in a while, life reminds me that I'm not. Like, for everyone who's like, oh my god, it's Bosch and Roll, I watch you every day. There's someone who's like, who are you? What is Magic the Gathering? Shut up. And there's a lot more of those people. So, like, I try to stay humble and be nice and follow the rules. Uh, I would never leverage, like, why are you trying to jam me up, bro? I'm going to tweet about you <laughs> when I'm taking too long on a doomsday pile. <laughs> You're going to get this clout rage. All right. So let's just kind of do a vibe check real quick. So, gentlemen, just in a in a sentence or two here, how are you feeling about the, the new format? I think it's good, but I believe I owe an apology to a certain green-white community in the last episode, I made a joke <laughs> about Maverick, and then Daniel Neely, uh, legend, Magic Online All-Star, known for playing Ma uh, Maverick through thick and thin, went and won the Saturday Challenge with uh, their pride and joy. So congratulations to Dan Neely. But all five, Maverick, all five Maverick players that still exist decided to tweet at me and let me know. So I'm happy for you. I'm happy that your deck got some love. Uh, congratulations. Yeah, bit. Big day for the, the Greens of Zenith community. And I believe that was Dan's first win with Maverick. Like, despite, like, playing that deck through thick and thin, I think that was the, the first actual, factual, like, challenge win with Maverick. So it was it was a big deal. Nice uh, emotional moment. And Dan came on my radar probably six, seven years ago. We're regionally adjacent. I think he's Ohio-based. I'm Western PA. So we overlap with each other a lot. He was a four-color loam player for the longest time. Also a Green Sun Zenith deck, but a, a Chalice deck, Mox Diamond, all those. Having Dan Neely and Matthew Fuke both in your your sphere of reasonable, like, I could drive play Legacy on a Saturday and they're both there. That was a tough time when four-color loam was one of the top decks. But yeah, shout out to the, the non-blue community out there taking down a challenge with the most honest deck there is. So Brian, what what about you? What's your your vibe check here? I have been loving the new format. It just feels a turn slower in in ways that are relevant to me. Like the fastest combo decks are still the fastest combo decks, but the initiative stuff when you have that r little bit of room to breathe. A lot of cards I've been I've been seeing played and playing myself that we just haven't seen in a long time. Remember the old uh I don't know the quintumvirate, the five points of the star when we used to have 
Tarmogoyf, Dark Confidant, Snapcaster, Mage, Young Pyromancer, and Stoneforge Mystic as like playable two drops across the, the color pie. I've seen four of those five cards in play in the past two weeks, and the only reason I didn't see Young Peasy is because Third Path Iconoclast was in its spot. I've played and played against all five of those old points of the star are cards we just haven't seen in the last year, not in any real way. I have played against Young Pyromancer. Um, I'm going to save that story for a little bit later because it's going to come up in a future portion of the, the show. It's got synergy with a new card that we want to talk about. On my end, I've been in love with this format. I feel like my decisions are mattering a lot more than they did a few weeks ago because I just have time for my decisions to pay off. Like, a lot of times you can play uh, air quotes perfectly or close to it versus a deck like Initiative, but, you know, they start on turn one White Plume, turn two Season Dungeoneer, like, you're dead. Doesn't, doesn't matter how well you play, a lot of times you just physically can't keep up with that. And I feel like removing that and removing Delver slash some of the control decks, just like awesome inevitability with EI and Mystic Sanctuary has just made more of the games that I'm playing into real games. And I've enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, the feeling of being over the hump against Delver, I miss that feeling. We haven't felt it in a year and a half, two years. We had the EI, we had Ragavan, we had Renin 6 just before that. It's been a long time since we, there was actually that point where it's like, you resolve the supreme verdict that kills two things, and then they're just on fumes. Or your third source of plowshares resolves, and they're on fumes. And it's just like, yeah, I miss this. I like this. Then they top deck Stifle or some stupid shit instead of Expressive Iteration. There may or may not even be Mystic Sanctuary in the deck, and if there is, it doesn't get back anything that reliable. Feels good to be back where it should be. Brian, since you mentioned it, I'm going to read a YouTube comment for you. Uh, I, I actually read it to Phil while you were uh, off doing something else. So we had a comment that says, why is Stifle a bad card? Shouldn't it be viewed depending on the specific deck and use case? The answer is no. Stifle sucks. Uh, that, that's really <laughs> what it comes down to. Every ban season, people trick themselves into playing this card that was playable in 2010 to 2013. And then two weeks later, they're just like, oh, yeah, we forgot power creep happened. And then they cut Stifle from their deck. Yes, you can view it in whatever context you'd like. But ultimately, at the end of those two weeks, everyone decides that Stifle still isn't good enough. And then they go back to playing playable cards. Here's my feeling about Stifle. And I'm a known Stifle hater. I don't think the card is that great. I think if you're going to play Stifle, two things need to be true. It needs to be a tool, not a plan. Like 4x Stifle decks, forget about it. That's just not where the format is anymore. But if you have like one or two that do something cool, if you are a Dreadnought deck and one or two Stifles on top of your four Dressdowns can also shove your Dreadnought in, in addition to keeping your opponent off balance, that's cool. If you're an Uro deck and you can do the old Pokepile thing where you turn three your Uro, put a land in, then Stifle the Sack Trigger off that land, I think that's cool. So use sparingly and be able to do something with it. If all of your stifle targets have to be provided by your opponent, then I'm not interested. All right. So another thing that I'm really enjoying about this format is the range of things that are putting up results. A lot of times in like top eight lists, it was just like blue red delver, blue red delver, Grixis delver, Grixis delver, initiative, initiative, a couple other things as a treat, you know, usually the same sort of combo decks. Now I'm feeling like when I look at a top eight, I'm expecting like 
seven different decks. That's been very refreshing. A lot of people are kind of going back to exploring other things. Uh, so, for example, if we just kind of skim over some results from the Legacy Challenge this weekend, in the top eight, we have eight cast, a Bant Control deck list, we have Reanimator, Maverick, straight up Jeskai Stoneblade, uh, Newton Elves, Cephalid Breakfast, and another Reanimator. And if we so seven different decks in that top eight. And if we go over to the Showcase Challenge instead, got a Bant Control, a Red Green Initiative deck, which is essentially a new deck. It like technically existed before, but it wasn't really viable. Uh, we have a very different looking control deck, a four color control deck list. Uh, then we have something that looks Doomsday, Tempo Doomsday. Oh yeah, I was missing the Doomsday column. All right, yeah. So we've got Doomsday followed by Rug Delver with Tarmogoyfs. Followed by a sort of green-white Reclaimer deck list. Uh, green-white depths. Remember that deck? <laughs> the top of the metagame before the initiative came along? It's back. Followed by another Stoneblade deck list featuring Trailblazer's Torch. And two Stifle along with their Uro, just like Brian was discussing. Uh, this deck rips, by the way, this uh, Stoneforge, uh, Bant Stoneforge deck. Um, we're going to talk about that. I have some notes in the, the cards to watch section, but I recorded with this deck. I'm very impressed by it. And I think it won my local event that I top aided with breakfast in the hands of uh, Ryan Hayes this past weekend. And then the final one is essentially Blue Red Delver with Life from the Loam as a splash. And a Sylvan Library. Two cards as a trait. And of course, the sideboard Minskin Boo, because damn, that card's good. I mean, Sylvan Library is just one colorless, one green expressive iteration, right? It just costs you like roughly half your life. Yeah, it just costs all your life every time. You can't loop it, doesn't flip Delver. You have to splash a third color for it. Basically the same card. Balance has returned. And even in these decks that are the same archetype, there's an incredible amount of variation between them. People are innovating, people are brewing, people are busting out old decks, old tech, and I'm I'm digging it. So while scrolling through Twitter recently, I did notice that there's some tech that I wasn't expecting to see in Blue Red Delver, and I was wondering your opinions on this i mean i haven't personally played with it or even delver recently i have in the past but reckless impulse was not a card i saw discussed much like most people i saw were like charter course is obviously an, uh, a pick that's pretty clear predict but reckless impulse feels a lot like expressive iteration because you get to use that card next turn you get two cards off the bat i think the one thing that really stuck out to me when i thought of it was oh well if they reveal a forcible or force negation, it's just heads up and then it goes away. And that's sort of the spot for the combo player where that's different. Brian, from the control perspective, does that matter as much against you? Like, how does that feel? Reckless Impulse versus something like Predict or Chart, of course. Uh, it feels kind of similar to Predict or Chart, of course. The use it or lose it is big. Um, I've played a lot of Standard and Pioneer during the light up the stage days. Reckless Impulses just light up the stage with a different mana cost and being able to plan out against like, see, like you just said, like there's a force of will. If I just don't give them anything to force this turn cycle, it's gone versus the EI where it's like, you know, they just talk to force in their hand and there's nothing you can do about it. Uh, the card is just demonstrably worse in in many ways. Obviously, that's not a band worthy card or comparing it to a card that's banned. As a blue player myself, unless I'm just balls to the walls, the old like 
2011 is a delver that topped out with like two fire blasts the main deck price of progress like remember that deck played monastery swift spear that kind of speed i could see reckless impulse being something we're interested in but i'd rather chart a course in my delver deck okay so i played against this recently uh, I was playing a very grindy deck with Staff of the Storyteller. Hold that thought. We'll go back there in just a minute. And I believe that my Delver opponent played nine copies of Reckless Impulse in a game. And it didn't really hit me how insane the game had been until I looked, realized there was like five cards left in my library and went like, oh shit, I need to endurance myself or I'm going to deck before I can whittle away my, all of my opponent's resources. I saw the first Reckless Impulse and I thought, oh, that's kind of cute. I saw the second one and I'm like, okay. And then once we started getting to like the Mystic Sanctuary days, bounce Mystic Sanctuary parts again, I went, okay, this isn't EI. Like this game isn't over, but this is incredibly good value. Like they were playing a few more bobbles so that they can play out more cards more effectively with Reckless Impulse. And the whole Force of Will thing wasn't as bad as I was expecting it to be. If I don't play a card on their turn, like they just got a time walk, right? Like I still drew my card, but if I can't play my Sorcery Speed Planeswalkers or Artifacts or whatever, like they just get another three damage or they get another chance to cast a new Reckless Impulse and try again. One thing that I'd like to point out here is you mentioned more copies of Mishra's Bobble. Uh, so far, what I've noticed is a lot of lists increased for Delirium purposes on Dragon's Rage Channeler. It can help out with list playing predict, but also a card that I haven't seen a lot of yet, which is Mercurial Spell Dancer. It was a card that people were just like, oh, yeah, Delver's just going to slot in Spell Dancers and keep going. I haven't found that spot at all. I don't know about YouTube, but like just Spell Dancers haven't been played against me. If we go back two or three episodes to when we were talking about one previews, I said Spell Dancer will be better than Ledger Shredder and worse than Dreadhorde Arcanist. And I think we're kind of seeing it's closer to Ledger Shredder at the end of the day here. I did play against somebody this past weekend in a local who had at least two copies of Spell Dancer in his Isadelver deck. It never oiled up against me. Our games were didn't take that long. I was on breakfast. Uh, so... We, we were done quick. I did see him copying ponders and stuff at other tables throughout the day. It's a card you can play. I just don't know that that is the solution anyone was looking for, at least not in that shell. I was really hot on this card when I first saw it because I got my ass absolutely destroyed by it in the first set of matches that I played against it when I just got fire blasted three times for one card. And nothing since then has lived up to that level of goodness from the card so still concerned when it hits the battlefield but it's not having as much of an impact as i expected it to yeah i played against a bant control deck that had two of them in there and against like in bant the unblockable two damage doesn't really matter because you're not really clocking any other way i don't think they ever got to double a spell because spell velocity is not really what bant does either like, if you're playing uro and minsk and boo you're not playing tons of spell velocity so that was kind of awkward. It was a card I had to respect while I was on the battlefield. I still think about a brew I made for my channel when I, I first had access to Spell Dancer. It was kind of a mid-range Grixis deck where I had some baubles. Those That was my low end just to get Spell Dancer oiled up. Is the juice worth the squeeze, basically? What spell are you doubling? Like, pondering twice is powerful, but him to Turok twice, now we're cooking. Or, uh, like, the spell that you're doubling... Does your deck scale well into the mid and late game? 
or are you just doubling ponders on turn seven the same as you are on turn three? So I think that's kind of the space for that deck. But no, it doesn't just drop into Delver. Are you interested in running a CEDH event or want your LGS to do so? Worried about the logistics of it? Fear not. Eminence Gaming's Command Tower software has you covered. You can create and manage tournaments easily, and its unique pairing system ensures you don't get paired against the same players multiple times. Visit eminence.events for more details. All right, now I want to talk about a card that I'm very excited about, Staff of the Storyteller. Uh, This was a card that I had basically just fully glossed over during preview season. And now that I've seen it in action, I'm so impressed. Uh, Brian, do you want to do the honors of reading of the card or should I? Oh, I am not prepared to read the card, but that's okay because I know what it does because I also love it. One in a white artifact. When it enters the battlefield, make a 1-1 flying, I believe it's a spirit. And whenever a token enters the battlefield under your control, put a, is it lore counter? Story. Put a story counter on staff of the storyteller and then white tap, remove a story counter, draw a card. So on its surface, this is a 1-1 flyer that draws a card for white, white one. And then your second staff of the storyteller recharges your first one. So now you get two cards in the bank. Your next staff of the storyteller charges all three. You cycle Shark Typhoon, you charge up your stories and draw cards for as many staffs as you have. Activate Castle Ardenvale and then also draw three cards. You tap an Urza Saga, also draw three cards. You see where this is going? This engine is bonkers. And it doesn't look like it should be bonkers because it's like very slow. But once you see it in action, it's very impressive. So for example, one of my opponents had Young Pyromancer alongside Staff of the Storyteller. So that every ponder or brainstorm turned into a 1-1 token, followed by an additional card draw. Another one of my opponents was abusing Currency Converter. Make a token, draw a card. Um, There's a lot of very silly things you can do with this. It doesn't close a game. It's not like a win condition in that like that 1-1 spirit token is going to win you the game. But it is a good but slow card advantage engine. I have coming out on my channel this week it will come out friday so either the day after this pod or the day of this pod depending on when we get it out i have blue white humility control featuring staff of the storyteller and shorakai genesis engine this was in the 5-0 deck dump phil turned me onto it thanks phil it knows exactly my speed of magic i haven't had put had humility in a deck in a very long time certainly hasn't been good in a long time let me tell you about all creatures are one ones in a world where your one ones all draw one to four cards when they come into play this it was insane i i had not even read the card before phil sent me this deck list i didn't know it existed it was in the commander release for all will be one it's not even in the real set a lot of those sneak past me it's Kind of annoying how they do that, but if I get Staff of the Storyteller out of it, I'll get over it. But yeah, I played this league, and after round two, I paused my recording, jumped on TCG Player, and ordered my set of staffs. I was like, yeah, this is something I'm going to be doing for a while. Love this. I played a video with something that was like very obviously a meme decklist featuring, I don't know how to pronounce this, Joel Moon Moonvoli Recluse. Uh, I I don't know the pronunciation of that first name. I'm not a lore person. Long story short, whenever you draw your second card each turn, you get a 2-2 cat token. Draw your card with staff. You make a token. The token recharges staff. 
and then every turn it's just one white mana draw a card make a cat and while like this is maybe not something you should be doing in legacy these sorts of synergies do exist in the format yeah i mean shark still is a deck that i played very seriously last year i top eight at a star city event with it i took it to legacy pit i was very much in on that deck as a real competitive endeavor and that's a token deck wandering emperor shark typhoon urza saga timeless dragon currency converter you win with tokens that is that that deck box was very full of extra objects staff the storyteller slots directly into anything adjacent to that space so another card that i've been very excited about is under mountain adventurer which is our new green initiative card, which finally hit Magic Online. And like we mentioned a couple minutes ago, there was a red-green initiative deck that got a top eight this weekend. People are still messing around with that deck list. Um, There's a lot of disagreement about how it's supposed to be built, how based on the initiative it is, do you play Blood Boil Sorcerer, how many three drops, what three drops do you play, do you play Chalice? Um, but it's not just in a, in a straight initiative deck that it's seeing play. In various Green Sun decks, ranging from just like mid-range stuff to control decks, the ability to just Green Sun and take the initiative in the late game is pretty scary. I've only personally faced the version with the eight spirit guides, which I think is the coolest thing about this deck, is that there are some lists out there with like Birds of Paradise and Ignoble Hierarch. But I think having Elvish Spirit Guide and Simeon Spirit Guide gives the Red Green Initiative deck an edge that the old one didn't have. You have more ways than ever to turn one a four drop. Like, that was the big thing about Mono White Initiative, was losing uh, White Plume Adventure took away the three drop and how impactful that was. When you play Red Green and you have eight Spirit Guides, yeah, your creature is a four drop, but between the spirit guides and like chrome mox or whatever as you choose to play mox diamond hitting four mana on turn one isn't as big of an ask as it may seem i don't want it to seem like it's free but it's a lot easier than it sounds if you wanted to you could play eight spirit guides four chrome mox four lotus petal you can have four mana on turn one just about every game if you want to go that deep i don't know that it's correct to because that's a lot of mana considering that you also need to play a good number of lands but It's out there. You can go turbo. Right. And I like the balance of that. I don't mind that that exists. Like, Belcher exists. Oops, all spells exist. I don't mind a powerful thing happening turn one in the format. It's when it can... The stability of the turn one thing leads to a stable busted turn two, and then a stable busted turn three. The way that, like, Chrome Mox Ancient Tomb set up the initiative deck when it had White Plume Adventure to just curve three, four, etc., if you're pitching two spirit guides and a lotus petal to turn one your thing, you're just ice cold to force of will, which it, all things are back where they should be. I'd rather play against a turn one Caves of Chaos Adventurer than a turn one Balustrade Spy, and we accept that in the format. So if the decks are built kind of similarly, I don't mind that at all. I think that's cool. And I've been waiting a long time for Undermountain Adventurer to come to Magic Online because I've had a lot of Zenith Toolbox Blue Soup decks in my queue and people asking about in my patreon and i kept saying like just wait we're gonna have a new tool and when the the yorion soup nonsense deck can just take the initiative at five mana that's a potent thing to be in their toolbox brian let me sell you we're talking about things we're excited all right so we tell me we talked about how you could play caves of chaos adventure on turn one but i have a card that you might be more interested in on turn one how do you feel about turn one minskin boo I like that too. 
that's quite strong. That happened to me. My opponent went turn one Minskin Boo, and I was like, this has to be a Koval deck. And then they continue to play cards, and I realized that it was Red Green Initiative. But my first thought that it was like something you played on your channel. Yeah, so the initiative spin on it is more Phil's wheelhouse, but I have played Crashing Footfalls on my channel, which is also an eight-spirit guide turbo tempo deck that can turn one Minskin Boo. So I have done that. Uh, I actually had the delightful experience this is old news at this point for anyone who watches my channel, but I was on the draw against the initiative and they turn one to a Thalia guardian of Thraben. And I responded with spirit guide, spirit guide, spirit guide, violent outburst two rhinos, and then went to my turn and attacked them for eight. Felt good. Who's the initiative deck now? All right. One final sweet thing for me. I actually really like this deck for what it's worth. I mean, it's a dirty chalice of the void deck, but this deck seems sweet. Uh, having Fury is a four of in your main deck that's just like easy to use because the deck has a reasonable amount of red cards. Like I mentioned probably a month ago at this point that I saw a list of initiative splashing red for caves of chaos i can't even say it caves of chaos adventure there we go and fury and i was like oh it's a mirror breaker this deck actually just gets to run four mana fury and it's almost free to pitch so i think that gives this deck a pretty good edge against the fair parts of the format and against the unfair parts of the format you do have chalice of the void some list play trinisphere in the main deck there's a lot of stuff going on right now but it seems like the deck has a lot of its ground covered. And when you need to grind, obviously the initiative is good at that, but so is Minskin Boo. One of the things that makes the red-green initiative deck somewhat appealing is that it does have that fury. The mono-white initiative deck was kind of better because Solitude is such a good catch-all removal spell. Fury misses stuff. So for example, Fury's not going to kill a large Merktide Regent that comes into play early, but... Fury will do so much work against kind of these small creatures, something that's looking to put one or two threats into play, or a bunch of hate bears. I have been very impressed by Fury in the post-ban world. It does hit Planeswalkers as well. Yeah, Fury is a card I've just liked for a while. Back when I was playing Grixis Control, just I kept adding the, up the number of Furies in the main deck. Pitch it when you need it, and it's 3-3 three, three double strike when you're ready for that sweet card all around. I know Delver has been experimenting with it as well. I've even seen some in some Isid Delver main decks. All right. Speaking of experiments, uh, a card that I'm really excited about coming back is Court of Grace. So for those of you not well versed in history, this is two colorless and two white for an enchantment that lets you become the monarch. At the beginning of your upkeep, you get a 1-1 white spirit creature token with flying. But if you're the monarch, you get a 4-4 white angel creature with flying instead. The Monarch is like the poor person's version of the initiative? Yes, that is correct. Okay. Okay. Uh, so serious reminder in case you have fully forgotten about the Monarch. At the beginning of your end step, if you are the Monarch, you get to draw a card. So Court of Grace has been seeing a little bit of play in some of these Stoneblade and Control deck lists. The Monarch is a pain to take if your opponent is in the position to defend it which they probably will be if they've put this into their deck. If you can't permanently answer this enchantment, it's a problem. I was playing a nice control deck with a bunch of Teferis, and I was like, okay, I'll bounce this out of play, and I'll temporarily answer it. Guess what? I wasn't successfully becoming the Monarch, because I was kind of a controlling deck, and I wasn't planning on attacking for a while. And so my opponent just kept, like, redeploying Court of Grace, and every three turns I would bounce it with a Teferi. And I didn't have the fourth color to just, like, prismatic ending that thing out of there. It was a nightmare for me to deal with. Yeah, they, 
that cycle has kind of been swept away. Uh, the format changed, got a little too fast. We got Maddening Hex, we got Minskin Boo, we got the Initiative. Court of Grace and Court of Cunning are both cards that I've seen in decks again recently, and they both do exactly what Phil just said. They present two problems immediately. The controller becomes the monarch, and then there's also some sort of thing that happens every upkeep. Court of Grace makes the 1-1 one, one or 4-4, four, four, and Court of Cunning mills a player for 2 or for 10 if you have the monarch or not. Some decks just get milled out. If they can't take the Monarch, some decks don't care about that much. Some decks are ice cold. Uh, so you've got to answer both halves of that thing. That's a cycle I was super hot on when they came out. They were in the original Commander Legends long ago alongside Hall Breacher, if we all remember that. An opposition agent. Yeah, they're back in decks again. I love it. I I think I'm just going to leave the next one here to, to Bryant because I, I originally put Orem's Chant on this list as something that I was super happy about seeing play again. Um, so for those of you who don't know it, this is essentially a silence with kicker. And if you kick it, you're, uh, is it preventing all combat damage or no, they can't attack. That's the Cannot word, right? Attack. attack. Yep. All right. So Bryant, take it away. Where is this seeing play and why? Well, it does see play in the Epic Storm, but that's not why we're talking about it here today. Uh, former Epic Storm writer Anthony Laverde has switched over to Southwood Breakfast and Anthony has been championing Orm's chant in the deck for some time he's been posting about it on twitter has his own podcast along with his twitter name is gristlebrand uh dn dns solver there we go i got there getting old we talked about it in the uh the intro today so dns solver so anthony's been championing orange chant there people weren't super confident in it but anthony just keeps on crushing on magic online and has convinced some people not in the boston area to pick it up so we've seen the current trophy leader uh jace t m s s t also pick up orem's chant so now southwood breakfast more and more often now is adopting one to two copies of orem's chant is just a way to ensure that their combo goes undisrupted you can use it as disruption as well by playing it in your opponent's upkeep when they think that they're going to get a turn to play a key spell and you just go eh not this time and it just wins the combo mirrors on its own so the card is quite impressive yeah, I was in one of those scenarios where I don't think there's any card that I can lose to, and then two Orem's chance happened two turns in a row, and it was not something that I expected. I called the shot before it happened, just as kind of one of those content moments of, I can't lose to anything except, and then it actually happened. Uh, I am 100% keeping this card in mind moving forward. Yeah, if you play against the Epic Storm in every league like I do, it's been on your radar for a little while. Uh, uh, the TES crew have been on Orb's Chant for a while. Um, but yeah, seeing it in other decks, is it's starting to pick up. All right, speaking of starting to pick up, Stoneforge Mystic is back, baby. In lots of ways, in lots of shells, sometimes carrying a new toy. Yeah, Trailblazer's Torch is an equipment, a four-man equipment that gives you the initiative. And then there's some other words on there that are mostly irrelevant. Yeah, Stoneforge Mystic, in addition to all the usual tools, the Cauldra, Batterskull, any swords you choose to play, Jute, whatever, can now just take the initiative, which is mega spicy because one of the ways that Stoneforge Mystic has been built more recently, people have been playing fewer and fewer Jutes and swords of this and that. And they're just playing more weapons that can carry their own weight in a game, uh, like Batterskull, 
and culture costing seven is kind of a big hurdle, but it being around is your opponent's got to respect it going long. Trailblazer's Torch is just a four mana thing you can do that will win you the game if your opponent doesn't interact with it, whether by taking the initiative or fighting over it. Okay, so something I want to make sure you understand about like the play patterns here, because like Trailblazer's Torch is not a very good card. Like it takes the initiative. That's cool. Every time someone has tried to play this in like a Karn shell or something like that, like, oh, it's tutorable initiative. Like it just hasn't worked. Now that the format has slowed down, what you do with Trailblazer's Torch and Stoneforge Mystic specifically, the Stoneforge is important here, you put it in at the end of your opponent's turn. You get your land, they don't get a chance to attack, you untap, you immediately go to stage 2 and you get your scry 2 or your 2 plus 1 plus 1 counters before your opponent has a chance to contest the initiative. Only by the format slowing down a turn or so is something like this possible, whereas previously it was just too slow to even be worth considering. Yeah, and like I mentioned when we were talking about the decks that did well in the, the challenges, this Bant Stone Blade deck that's playing Trailblazer's Torch just rips because when you do something like Tutor Trailblazer's Torch, your opponent now knows you can take the initiative at four mana, or at any point with Stoneforge Mystic. So they're incentivized to remove the Stoneforge Mystic, which is something they have to play to the board to do to keep your board clear. Then they're incentivized to get something on the board, which they might scramble and have to tap out in a way they don't like against this deck with Stifle and Daze. You're also a Wasteland deck. If they're scrambling to get on board ahead of your torch, you might be able to punish with this other stuff. And you're also just a True Name Nemesis Uro deck. If you put True Name Nemesis on the stack and you're like, if you curve Stoneforge, tutor up Torch, Stoneforge gets answered. Then you put True Name on the stack the next turn and your opponent has one force of will. Are they going to take their chances versus the three, one protection from everything? Or are they going to take their chances against the initiative on the following turn? Puts them in a position. You get to kind of play like you're a stompy deck, even though you're a, a Bant Urot control deck. And I cannot emphasize enough how frustrating it is to be on the other side of a true name nemesis with five power. Three power's bad, but like you have some time to find your outs. Five power? Uh-uh. Yeah, and I gotta say that that league I recorded with Bantstone Forge was some of the best five rounds of magic I've played in two years. Just the play patterns of Stoneforge Mystic. Pick up the Cauldra, they answer your stone forward, you brainstorm away the Cauldra, you know, all that old stuff. It felt like 2019 GP Niagara Falls all over again when Stoneforge was at the peak of its powers. I even played a Stoneforge Mirror that they were Jeskai, I was banned, and it, it was genuinely some of the most delightful back and forth magic I've played in a very long time. And I'm glad we have a little bit of breathing room to do that stuff again. So one other thing that we've talked about a bit here on the podcast already is Atraxa. Well-known card, better than Grizzlebrand. Uh, and one of the th <laughs> Man, every time I play an Atraxa deck, like, the YouTube comments get fucking fired up, and oh, it's, it's, it's spicy. Anyway, Natural Order for Atraxa is something that has been pretty legitimately good in the post-banning world. Like, you can play a mono-green pseudo-stompy or ramp deck list that just can natural order into Atraxa or Progenitus, 
or you can play some mana dorks and a natural order or two and a Tetraxa in your control deck list and just have that as a thing that is very unfair that you can do. And I have gotten surprised by, well, not surprised, but been unable to deal with natural order for Atraxa out of Bant control decks where I thought I was going to have a lot more time. And then that just happened on turn three and I couldn't pivot before that thing killed me. Yeah, the event I paid this played this past weekend, uh, my local friend Zach McAdoo was on Bant natural order. And because I was on breakfast, all my rounds were done way before him. And I spent every round just burning his matches. And wow, that is delightful magic. Uh, just being that Bant Uro control deck, but also having a gas pedal. I had to put those decks down in the past because they can't actually win in the, the round clock I'll, that's provided for you. But Progenitus turns a corner, Atraxa turns the corner. And something that's really easy to do in those decks is just have seven mana. So the progenitus problem of I drew my progenitus doesn't apply to Atraxa in the same kind of ways because you will cast her. She's coming. And you're a Caracas deck too. Like you could even get into a loop of like cast Atraxa. If they try to plow it, you pick her up and then you replay her the next turn and you're just untouchable. That stuff is crazy. I love it. All right. Any final thoughts here? Other cards you've got your eye on? Decks you've got your eye on? Anything like that? Uh, in general, don't forget about Painter. Uh, we That's always in the top three on Goldfish. It is known to everyone who's paying attention, but still, I think if you asked random legacy players on the street what they think about Painter, they wouldn't give it enough credit. And there's Blue Painter now, which is it's hybridized with 8-cast, just fully integrated. Red Painter's still out there. I think we're getting the Warhammer cards on Magic Online sometime soon, I hope. The, I don't know. The art has made it there. Okay, all right. Yeah, it, it's looking good. And once we get Chaos Defiler, I'm going in immediately. Keep Painter on your radar. And for those of you playing Red Green Initiative, Moloch is a card that should be on your radar. That already has plenty of paper results by its name. And people in my Discord all the time are just like, Man, this deck would be so good if we had this. Oh, great. They're buffing Maverick already. Give us one week to breathe before it gets Moloch as well. I just really want to play with Guacamole Goblin and Paradise Lost. Like, I am begging at this point for them to put those cards online. Those are, are real cards that are still not included. I mean, it's not like there's any others that might, like, completely revitalize the format in some way. Like, I don't know. Maybe a miracle five five lifelinker or something that that would do weird things, right? Yeah, I've been I've played against Triumph of Saint Catherine a lot in paper. I have not been brave enough to brew it myself. I just haven't been playing that much paper legacy to to take a shot with it. But I played a Cephalid Breakfast Mirror where they had main deck triumphs. I've played against Miracles with Triumph. I know uh, Maxtortion is working on Doomsday with Triumph. That just goes in so many spots, and I want to do it, yeah, but. It's locked and loaded in my recording queue. The second I have access to her, I've, I've got things to do. I have not played Paper Magic the Gathering since the release of Unfinity. And one thing I'm wondering is when these cards hit online, should you just be putting attractions and stickers into all of your decks all the time? Like, that's one thing that I'm curious to see if that's going to happen. I think that is kind of in the space of shouldn't you just always play Snowlands and make your opponent wonder why? Having a sticker deck at all times is a stronger signal than maybe playing a snow basic. Uh, but 
like if you put one person on, I need to mold a force of will because I think you're on a guacamole goblin deck. I don't know. I, I will not do that personally, but I understand the grinder urge to get every little percent. All right. So if I can leave the audience with one final thought, it's that a few minutes ago, Brian put a lot of thought into how to best get your Atraxa not plowed. So I think that you should be thinking about plowing Atraxa. That's all. We're going to get canceled for that comment. (laughs) 